episode 172, Year in Retirement, Now What? I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Mars Tariq's perspective. Join 2017 and 18 Podcast Awards-nominated host and best-selling author on Amazon as we get a behind-the-curtain look at all types of doctor and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. It's now the second month of the year 2021. I hope you're still at the gym. I still hope you're trying to reach your goals. If you haven't yet, reach out to people, including myself. We can help you create some manageable goals, goal setting, all those types of things that you need. That way your rest of the 2021 is your best year ever. It's easy to get distracted with all the election. Thank goodness that's over. Corona and all those types. of Secondly, if you haven't revamped your curriculum vitae, your CV, if you will, in a while, or you've never had one to begin with, reach out to me. I can do those. I enjoy them. The people that I've done them for have said good things. And you can find that at a doctorsperspective.net slash one sheet. And of course, that one sheet is a single PDF. It looks good. It introduces you in a way that a podcast host, a local business, a local chamber would say, yes, please come to my event. Speak to my audience. You have value for them. At this point, if you've listened to the show, you know I like Story Brand with Donald Miller. His marketing book that he had last year was great and just getting started with his new book, Business Made Simple, 60 Daily Entries, plus videos. Really looking forward to that, seeing how it can transform uh, my entrepreneurial spirit. As always, you can find that book and many others on a doctorsperspective.net slash book list, which is an affiliate for all the guest recommendations for Amazon. Okay, well today we got Mars Tariq. He's a CFP. And while we do talk about how to do some savings and things like that from at a young age, his specialty is planning for retirement. Those 10 years, those five years before you actually retire. Yes, we have to start when we're 30, so we'll touch on that. But what do we need to look out for? The pitfalls, how to structure your the money that comes in when you retire. So I really think you're going to enjoy this. He's a first-generation American, so we discussed that a little bit as well. Happy to have him on. The show notes and the transcript can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash 172. And if you do need more financial series, whether it's real estate, student loans, basics of retirement, you can find our series at a doctorsperspective.net slash financial. All right, let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from Germany and Raleigh, North Carolina, today we have on the show a certified financial planner, with Peace of Mind Wealth Management, and he's been doing it for over 10 years. Uh, It's gonna be a wealth of knowledge today. So please, please welcome Merz Tariq. Justin, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Yeah, you know, there's so much going on. We just had an election, a turnover actually. So now we have somebody else in power and they're talking about student loans and we're talking about financial help and there's so many things going on and we're like trying to survive as chiropractors and other types of doctors and still retirement and trying to keep our business afloat. So it's a lot going on right now, would you say? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a ton of moving pieces no matter where you live. Uh, you said you're in Germany. I'm here in Raleigh, North Carolina in the U.S. And I mean, everyone seems to know what's going on in the U.S. for for that reason. A big election just happened. Inauguration just happened yesterday. And now it's kind of now we, it's kind of wait and see, see how things play out, see what promises were made, if they actually follow through on them. Um, you know, and so that's what that's part of what we do. Yep. Yep. And just so you know, I am American and my audience is mostly America. <laughs> gotcha. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, in politics, it's it's not just one man running the show. So there's all kinds of tugs and pulls and special interests to have to fight through to, to get this going. Do you keep track of the financial part of the student loans? Do you have any opinions on that before we just kind of jump into other topics? I don't really keep track of it. I know that Biden has a pretty strong urge to to take care of some of the student loans for people. I think the last thing I've read is maybe up to 10000 as far as the student loan forgiveness. Um, whether or not that gets passed is is all up in the air. I mean, I think it would be nice if we're going to do all this stimulus that we have been doing. I, the biggest part of the population that's hurting is the people that have to pay back their student loans because it's kind of, well, you know, do I, do I pay my student loans back or do I eat today is kind of the question. And so I, I think it would be fine if that was to happen. Ultimately, all of the stimulus is going to have repercussions at some point. You know, whether it's Mm -hmm. 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, things that our kids have to deal with in the future with the debt going up so much, you know, that's all you get into a very speculative type of zone as to how that's all going to play out. But I I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I think it would be fine if it did. You know, our audience is mostly doctors. And when you have 150 to 300,000 in debt, 10,000 is like, that's great. But I mean, you don't (laughs) You don't right. notice it when you're still having to pay that two thousand a month. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what are we supposed to do, man? We got a we got a mortgage of some sort, let's say a thousand. You got a, a sixteen hundred student loan debt. We've told we're supposed to save for retirement. I mean, maybe I don't know, a Roth IRA because at least you're putting away something and you don't have to worry about the tax man later on because you may not have that much money. And, you know, not everybody comes out of school and you know, makes a million dollars like we, we think we will when we're <laughs> in school. We're like, yeah, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be number one in my field. Right. What are your initial thoughts on those kind of comments? Yeah. I mean, for anyone that's coming out of college or anyone that <clears throat> has that what seems like an insurmountable amount of debt to get through college, I, there, there's really it, it kind of just you got to take it back to the basics. of, And I, I, I would just say living within your means and setting goals. I think goal setting is so important and it's very easy to forget about it. It's very easy to overstep them or, you know, just ignore them for periods of time. So a lot of people, I mean, we sit here in January, a lot of people will set these goals and they're massive goals, whether or not how much they want to save for the year, how much they want to pay towards their student debt or other loans or pay down their mortgage. And they start that in January. And then guess what happens in February, right? Something comes up that is unexpected and then the whole year basically just goes to crap, for for lack of a better word, in the goal. Mm-hmm. So I think something very important is to, yeah, set the goals, but also be very realistic in the type of goal that you can set and maintain. And, and Like know that, your income potential? Yeah, know your income potential and then live within your means. You know, say you make, I don't know, I know doctors make, they should do pretty well, but they, that's kind of the idea, right? Is right. they can take on these massive loans because they're they're supposed to do pretty well once they get out into the real world and they're making ten fifteen thousand dollars a month and they should have no problem paying back that two thousand dollar a month more uh student loan but mm-hmm. then on top of that you say well uh, i'm a doctor now i can afford more so let me go get that three thousand dollar mortgage let me go mm-hmm. get that thousand dollar car payment it starts to add up pretty quickly and so it all comes back to being realistic now if that's the lifestyle you want to live and you end up being a doctor that lives paycheck to paycheck, well, that's that's okay in the sense of you're just not really going to amass much affluence because you're going to be working on these bills for a very long time, whereas mm-hmm. I've seen others do it very well. I've got a friend, 
Um, and our, by the way, my clientele is not really the person that just jumped into the working world. Our clientele is that doctor that's ready to retire and they're ready to hang up ah. their practice, right? And so they've amassed wealth and they let us take over and make sure that their financial plan is really intact for retirement. So we focus on retirement, but because I'm a little bit younger, because I have friends in different fields, they always come to me and ask. And so I have a, a doctor friend, uh, she's a PA, so she's a brand new PA, her husband, is finishing up his residency you know residents don't get paid very much and he's with the air force and so that the deal with the air force is that well he's going to come out debt free after his mm -hmm. service so that's really nice but she still has say one hundred fifty thousand dollars of loans just to go to pa school yeah and so they've made a very aggressive goal which is we're going to live off of his resident salary, which let's just say that's, I don't know, $40,000 a year. 40, 50, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, you know better than I do. And with the money that I make as a PA, which is decent money, we're just going to attack, attack, attack all of our debts. And by the time that he's done with residency, well, we're probably, we've taken care of 50, 75% of our loan debt. So that's an aggressive goal, and I hope they can stick to it. It seems like they've done a very good job so far. So kind of, you got you to gotta decide, well... What type of lifestyle do you want to live and how quickly do you want to jump into that lifestyle? Do you get that high paying job and then automatically go buy everything you can? Or do you get that high paying job and take care of what got you there in the first place? Right. And then you still have to deal with what percentage is going to go to retirement because Correct. we all know 18 and 20 years old would have been the best time to put away a few grand a year. Right. Because <laughs> just by doing that, you'd be rich at the end of the life. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. The, the the power of just cumulative returns, it's it's insane. And you can see it in, in math, but once you see it in real life, once you see it happen to your own account, it's a thing of beauty. So yeah, yeah, I would never neglect, even at a young age, I would never neglect saving for retirement, whether it's you know a couple of thousand bucks to an IRA or to a 401k. At the very least, if you're working for a larger company that does a 401k and you've got a match, at the very least, take advantage of the match. Just so you get some yeah. free money, free money, free money right? Um, and then that starts to add up and it starts to snowball. And that's the beauty of it. And as you make money, it's easier to make more money with returns. So, you know, that's just it's part of the retirement world. So are you a fiduciary at this point or being a certified financial planner? Does that make, make you mandatory to be a fiduciary or not? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because that's really a hot topic in my world. You've got fiduciaries, which, yes, to answer the question, a certified financial planner, because of the education that we had to go through because of the deal, basically, once you get the, the letters behind your name, you basically say, yes, I'm going to act as a fiduciary by law, by law to hold this certification. We have to. Um, ah. For for anyone who doesn't know what that means, what a fiduciary is, it basically means that we have to act in the best interest of our clients and not ourselves. Yeah. So why does that even have to be a rule? Right. That so that y'all have such a bad rep out there because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I agree. It shouldn't have to be a rule. But a lot of the world way early on worked off of this thing called suitability. So suitability was saying, well, if I'm an advisor and I'm making a recommendation to a client to say, hey, go put your money in this mutual fund or go buy this insurance product, all it had to be was suitable to the person. It didn't have to be in their best interest. It just had to kind of align with the goals. It kind of had to align with the person just to say that, yeah, I had the conversation. I understand their financial world. And so this would be good enough for this person. 
I happened to get four times the return this month on that product. But, you know, it's it was just it was that one or this one. I just picked the one that makes me better. Yeah. And so the world is evolving. Some financial advisors got a bad rep. Typically, it's the ones that made made money off of commissions. So you sell a product, you make some money. And the fiduciary world is not so much in that way. Like the way that we operate in our practice is uh, we're we're fee based. We're going to charge a percentage of the assets that we manage. In in very plain terms, if if we if we grow the money, we're taking a percentage, so we make more money. On the same side, if we don't grow the money and it goes down, our revenue goes down as well. So we essentially we sit on the same side of the table as our client. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's in our both both best interests to grow the money and preserve the money. So that's that's what we try to do. And that's as a fiduciary making those recommendations that we fully believe in. I mean, that's all I've ever been taught to do. That's exactly right. I mean, that to me as a customer, it just makes me happier to know that at least you're going to offer things that matter most. You know, it's going to be a safer thing potentially if you want safety. But anyway, you're like you said, you're doing more long term near the end of retirement. So sometimes they say you should look at the end to plan for the future. Yeah, that's what I think that's what they say. <laughs> Something like that. So now is the time to start planning for the future. And so that way when you're older. So I don't know what people like to retire with, but when you don't have a house note, you don't have a car note, sometimes like 50 to 70,000 is a fair amount of money to live on, I would think, right? Yeah, like on an annual basis? Yeah, like when you're older? Sure, I would say so. I mean, yeah, we have plenty of clients that even regardless of how much they have saved up, their withdrawal rate is minuscule. So they're pretty much living off of Social Security or if they had the fortune of having a pension with their company, a lot of times that's all they really need. And then and you'll learn about this at some point is all they have to do is take their required minimum distributions at age 72. And that is perfect for their retirement plan. And then we have others that say, no, I need I need one hundred and fifty thousand a year because that's the lifestyle I grew up with or not grew up with. That's the lifestyle I earned. And I want to continue that into retirement. Well, that takes a separate set of goals, a separate set of type of savings. That's a lot more savings in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes people do ask, what is the, the perfect number to retire comfortably? And the answer to that, there there isn't one. You know, it comes down to how you want to live your retirement, what type of spending you do and what makes you happy. Uh, we have plenty of clients that have a couple hundred thousand saved up in their nest egg, and they have a very, very comfortable, almost bulletproof retirement plan compared to a couple clients that we have that have a few million saved, and they just have a spend rate that's astronomical, and, you know, that can crash and burn. So that the, the $200,000 person has a much better retirement plan than the couple million dollar person. So how much you've saved is irrelevant, I would say. Because when you're doing, like, you know, CFP stuff, it's not just stock markets. Like, you're going to look at houses, life insurance, all of that stuff as well. Is is there a point where like an annuity is a good idea? Like uh, if you're getting close to retirement, you got, I don't know, say 3 million in the bank and it's all in the stocks of some sort or like going to cash and you're like, man, I'm still nervous about it. You know, all this stuff. Is there ever a point where he's like, yeah, you might want to buy an annuity, like maybe take 300,000 and get an annuity and a permanent payment plan over the next few years. Is that ever a good idea or that's a bit complicated for this podcast? What do you think? 
Um, the, the topic of annuity can go as a podcast itself. We actually, on our podcast, we, we've done a, a seven episode series just talking about annuities and how they work. But a quick answer is, yeah, it, it is something that could work. It's a nice, a nice vehicle as long as it's understood, as long as it's put into the right perspective. Um, mm -hmm. but a lot of people, when they're first starting out, their first investment is going to be, they bought a stock at the age of 15. Or now, now kids are going to be saying, "Well, I bought Bitcoin," or yeah. you know, and uh, Vanguard Target Retirement. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> right, and that's kind of what you do. Then you get to the point where you have you're working, you have a 401k, so you're still in that stock market environment. But eventually, you get to where you kind of transition from asset accumulation to you're kind of now you want to get in more in the realm of the retirement thinking process, which is. Well, let me take a look at how everything is structured. Right now, I've been doing what I know, which is dumping money into my 401k, and now I'm fully exposed in the stock market. Maybe that's too much. I'm five years away, 10 years away from retirement. Maybe I should consider something like an annuity or something like life insurance to offset some of that stock market risk. So I think they're great vehicles. Really, we use them. Uh, we will we use them in our practice, and we'll use them for really two different reasons. One is it can be a good safe accumulation vehicle, so something that's going to be like a bond-like return somewhere in that maybe three to five percent annual rate of return, and it has no downside to it in the fixed index annuity arena, not variable. Variable you can lose money in the fixed world, which is typically what we would use. You can't lose money in due to market volatility. Wow. And you've got a conservative rate of return. The other reason is, like you said, you could buy an annuity purely just for income purposes. Say, you know, I'll give the insurance company 100000 and they'll maybe give me $500 a month for the rest of my life. That is also a vehicle, too. Yeah, because when you die, then it ends up converting somehow for your beneficiaries, typically. Yeah, if there's cash left in the account, typically it can go to a beneficiary. All right. I'll let you pick. We had a financial series before and we kind of covered a lot of the basics and the, the front end, you know, when you're 30 years old trying to save. But being that you kind of specialize on the back end, what are some of these pitfalls that, you know, when you're 60, 62, you're de debating if you should retire? What are some things that we don't even think about that we should be aware of now? So, again, if you are 60, you can start planning that and talking to you or somebody else. Or when you're 30 and 40, you can plan now so that you don't have these surprises or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, let me start with the if you're 60, right? Some of the pitfalls that we see <clears throat> and it kind of pertains to that 30 old 30 year old mentality. You're not 30 anymore, you're 60, right? So you got to adjust the way that you think. And one of the things that we see all the time is you you start off with this 401k and you say I'm young, I'm going to be aggressive, so let me go just go into the total stock market portfolio and then you don't ever make a change and now you're 60 and it's grown well. <laughs> And you've ridden the ups and downs. You may have lost 20, 30 percent in some period of time, and it, but it's grown well. You've got a nice amount of money now. Well, a huge pitfall is not knowing how much risk you have on your money leading up to retirement. We talk to people all the time, and we show them their exposure. They're, they could be exposed to a 30 percent type of risk on the downside, and they say, well, I had no idea. I just kind of set it and forget it, which is a very common way of doing investing. And it works sometimes, but I would say a pitfall is I would knowing what risk, risk exposure you have and making sure that you're comfortable with that. Uh, a lot of times people don't realize how much risk they have on their overall portfolio. That's really that's a major one. Another big one 
is not having a plan. We talked about goals earlier, not having a, a an actual retirement income plan. So mm-hmm. you've done a lot of the work already, right? You've you've saved for your entire life, really, as much as you can. You've foregone some of the cool things you know, while you're younger so that you can save and have a really nice retirement. But there needs to be some type of plan around that. It can't just be, well, I think if I withdraw, you know, uh, $10,000 or 10000 a month off of this account, I think I'll be okay and we'll let the market take care of the rest. So that's not That's not a good way to do it. Terrible plan. It's not a good plan. You need to have something that's thought out because you know, when we when we're building out these plans for clients, we're taking them through everything. When are we going to turn on Social Security? What's that going to generate? Do you have a pension? What's that going to generate? Any other income? A lot of times they have rental property or they're getting royalties from whatever company they sold or something like that. Um, so that all comes into the income plan. And then, you know, what are the assets and what type of income can they actually produce? And then what are our expenses in retirement? So building all that up together and having it written down, it gives you the peace of mind kind of of knowing that, hey, I've actually done this work. I've taken the time to think it through either by myself or with a professional. And it's something that you can refer back to that. Well, here's what I did back when I was 60 or 55. Here's what it looked like. Now I'm 62. Am I on track with what this plan was? What adjustments do I need to make now? Do you think it's a good idea to at least have one or at least two rental properties when you're 30s or 40s? That way, when you are in retirement, that could be paid off and you're able to get a little something, not just from your stock market stuff. Um, I, well, let me say yes with a caveat. The caveat is you got to like real estate. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in that world. So before I got in, before I went to college, I went to college right down the road at NC State University. I grew up in construction. Uh, my dad owns a, a primary home construction company. And so I grew up in that world and I know how difficult real estate can be. And especially when it comes to the world of let me buy a property and rent it out. It seems easy to do just by thinking. But then actually the hard part is not buying the house. The hard part is getting the tenant, getting a good tenant that's going to pay you monthly and maintaining that house. But it's nothing worse than having to replace the carpet and losing six months of uh, profit that year. Absolutely. Right. Because then all of a sudden a really nice income generating property is basically a net zero. So mm-hmm. it's it's tough. Uh, you got to really like it. You know, someone may say, well, I can buy the property and go hire a property manager and let them do the work, which is fine. You just have to have the right expectations. You know, you may forego five to 10 percent of that income. So you got to ask yourself if you're willing to do the work. If you're not, are you willing to take a lower rate of return? And still have the hassle of having property. Don't I give you 5% to manage my money anyway? Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, we're, we're under the 2% range. Um, yeah, I'm messing and with it can, you. It can but range it's always depending a cost to do in business. How much headache do you want? You know, 5% might be worth it or whatever, 10%. If you're like, yeah, right. I got it. It's enough. Okay, so so real estate's not mandatory as, as far as you're concerned. No. It's nice, but gotta like it. Yeah, you gotta like it. And so, you know, some people really like investing in the stock market and they like trading options and buy uh, picking stocks and go that route. I would say go with what you're good at and something that you know that you can actually pay attention to. So no, I don't think real estate has to be in the plan for everyone. I don't have it in a personal plan of mine. Maybe someday down the road when we're all successful, maybe I'll have a second house for myself when I'm like 50 or 60. But I just I've seen enough of that world that I I don't have the desire to deal with tenants. But that's just me. Let me ask you this. If someone makes, let's just say, 90,000 in most of America, that's a pretty decent salary. 
sometimes it's two people working to make that salary, two teachers, for, for instance, or whatever. You might have a 401k, uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's what, 2%? They match 2%, so you put 2% there. Is the next step to max out a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA, you know, pre-tax versus post-tax? Like, can you save too much if you have 90000 Like, should we just go for that 12000 and be like, look, I got that 12000 a year forever. I'll be okay. Or do we need to be like, man, you really got to hit that 10 to 15% of your salary or more than that or less than that? You know, any ideas? Um, I think, I think 15% is always a good, that's a good savings rate. You know, whether you can get to that when you first, I will always say start it as soon as you can, just because mm-hmm. you get in the habit of saving. Take this, for example, say you make $100,000 a year and you save zero of that. You spend all of it. You get down the road 10 years and you have zero saved. That's beside the point. And now you say, all right, I'm going to start saving 20% of my salary, which is $20,000 a year. But you have this $100,000 lifestyle. It's yeah, very, very difficult to do, right? Because it's a, it's a mind shift, complete mind shift. So if you if you set the basics strong from the beginning, it makes things much easier. Um, on your question about the 401k, like, so two teachers, or I'm sorry, not the, the teachers, but actually the, the 401k versus the Roth, mm-hmm. that's really kind of uh, a personal type of question. Cause at okay. the end of the day, you have to answer, you have to answer the question of where you think taxes are going in the next, say, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. A lot of people would say by the time that you and I retire, taxes are going to be higher. Um, yeah. The general assumption. <laughs> it's a general assumption. Um, but now it's not just our taxes going to be higher. It's also, well, where is my income going to be at when I'm retired? So if I'm making $100,000 a year right now in my 30s and my tax rate is, say, I don't know, 25%, mm-hmm. which is that's a bad number. But let's just say it's 25%. And I get down the line to retirement and my income is now 75000 a year. So I'm not making as much as I will. And my tax rate is still 25% because my income went down, therefore, but the tax tax bracket went up, rates went up, but I'm still at that 25%, right? You see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's not so much about where tax rates are going to go. Yes, that's important, but it's also what type of income do we think we're going to have and where does that put us from a tax perspective? Is it, if it's going to be the same, then I would say do the, the traditional IRA or the traditional 401k because there's no real benefit by losing out on the tax benefit up front for future mm-hmm. tax growth. Okay, what about this? Someone's doing well. They make 400000 Do they still need to save 15% if they say they only live on 90000 Like, I make four hundred, I live on ninety or 100000 because I don't want to be crazy. Would they still need to save 15%? Because that ends up being, you know, that's a, that's a big chunk of change, you know? I think you, you kind of answered that. I, they, it seems like they're already saving it somehow. If they're only living on ninety. Right. They're already saving it. But, yeah, I would still say you still need to save. It could be sitting in their account or it could be. Yeah, I guess you're right. If you're not spending it all, then the money's going to be sitting there making you money or you can put it in something like a bond. Correct. If you just like three percent is better than no percent in the bank, I guess. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think always 15 percent is a good rule of thumb. Oh, well, okay. as you're starting out, saving something, getting in the habit is the way to go. Having a yeah. goal to work up to 15 is good. If you get above that, that's even better. A lot of times you have people that don't save and then they have to just by running the numbers, they have to save 20 to 25, 30 percent just to catch up to where they want to be. And that can be cumbersome because also, I mean, your 40s to your 50s are typically your most expensive parts of your life anyways. 
And it's very hard to forego income then because you may have kids, you've got car payments, you've got house payments, everything kind of layers on you in those 40 to 50s, right? So yeah, start the habit early is the way to go. Hey, what are your thoughts on paying for like, um, what is it? The 403B for student education? Is that um, something we should heavily invest into or just put a couple thousand a year? What is your thoughts? Are you talking about like a 529 savings oh, account? Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. There's so <laughs> many, so many numbers, so many letters out there. I just happen to know them because I kind of have to know them. <laughs> I should edit that part out so I don't sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a, a 529, I think they're good. I think they're good for a couple reasons. I actually, so I just had a, my first kid uh, back in March of 2020. So mm. he's coming around to almost being one year old and I set up a 529 for him. And the idea with the 529 is you put money in and it can grow in an investment account. And once they withdraw for say tuition or to pay for books or housing or whatever it is, that money is tax free, kind of like that Roth concept. So as long mm. as they're using it for the right reasons, that money is tax free. So that's a huge benefit. But what if you have a bunch of money left over? You put you you superfunded it. Your kid went to state school, and now you got fifty, eighty thousand dollars left over. And you're like, now what do I do with all this money? Yeah, I can't, so, my kid's done. Yeah, so that's a little tricky, right? So my goal is not to fully fund it, not to fully fund four years. My goal is to fund half of it. So you just kind of run numbers right now. You know, college average state school probably costs about let's say twenty thousand a year, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Throw some inflation on it, uh, and you want to cover a couple years. I would say a hundred thousand. For someone that's going to turn 18, 18 years from now, right? Yeah. Uh, that may cover one to two. They'll probably cover two years. And then, because what you don't know is, well, do they want to actually go to college? That's the pro That's what I'm saying. Like, hey, you know, Dad, I, I trusted you. You're an entrepreneur. Boom. I, I, I've been making money since I'm 17. I don't really need to go to college. Yeah. So then, then you're just kind of stuck with the decision. Well, you can transfer that. So 529 is transferable. So if you don't have another kid to give it to, you could use it. So you could transfer it to yourself to go back to school if you wanted to do that. By then, we're in our 60s, probably don't want to do that. So then you can, I mean, you can withdraw it and pay the taxes on it and get some money back. Is it crazy high taxes or is just what it is? Uh, I don't know the right rule on that just to kind of cover okay. myself, but it'll it'll basically be I, there could be a penalty, but also there would be just pure gains. So if you put in a if you put in 50,000, it grew to 100,000. Well, you've got 50,000 of gains in there that you're going to pay income tax on. Oh, well, that's better than like, you know, when you take out retirement, there's all these penalties. I guess to me, it's the penalties that get you. It can Don't be. penalize me because I was a super saver and I thought my kid was going to become a Ph.D. Right. <laughs> then they decided not to. <laughs> So what is that? Like two or three thousand a year, and you should you'll be kind of okay. I've got it very simple right now. I put a hundred bucks a month in, and mm. you know every now. What's nice about these is uh, we'll get a call from my our my parents or my in laws, and they'll say, hey, what what do we give him for his birthday this year? And it's well, he's kind of got everything. He's got this five twenty nine, and so they can write a check towards it too, and they've been doing that too. So it's a nice easy way for them to contribute to something that they want to contribute to. My kid's two and a quarter now, and I think the first year I was like, you know what, I have some extra money. So I put 5K in there. And I was like, you know what, 5K at less than one years old is going to grow nicely Yeah. by the time they're 18. So I told her, I was telling my wife, I was like, look, even if something happens where financially we're like, hey, we really, we need to worry about retirement, not about her school this year. You know, maybe we, something happens. 
at least we know we we put a lot in in the, the beginning. Right. So if we have to skip a year or don't put as much, at least we can feel like, hey, we're not. It's still OK. I guess yep. that's how I look at it. Yeah. OK. So you're a first generation American. I am. Any uh, I don't want to say crazy stories because there, there's face groups for that. Those are some of the phones. But uh, <laughs> any lessons that maybe you've learned or that, that we can apply to our life to. It seems like the first gens, they live the dream that America has, it seems like, compared to people who've been here for a while. Yeah. I mean, I saw it. I saw it with my, my dad. Um, so I'm, I'm Pakistani. I was, I was born there, brought over here when I was a couple months old. And, uh, I saw the struggle that, that it was back in the, the 80s. And it was very difficult. So we're a family of, uh, five and we lived in a, a two bedroom apartment. So one, I mean, kudos to my dad and my mom for, even Can you doing even imagine that. doing that? Yeah, you know the stories that you hear about someone coming over with the like a dollar in their pocket and you know just the clothes on their backs. That that type of story. That's basically my parents' story. I mean, they had a little bit more than that, but that's that was it. And so mm-hmm. for my first, let me say it this way, I didn't have my own bed until I was twelve. Yeah, we had a, we had a two bedroom apartment, and it was uh, my older brother and my older sister. We all three of us we shared a room. My parents had the other room and I slept on the floor for the, my first 12 years. So that does something to you from a young age. I mean, you see you see your family scraping by. Fortunately for us, we did live that American dream to where my dad did a few things right, made a couple right calls, got into construction eventually. And then then it was all, I mean, gravy, lots of hard work, lots of discipline. And that kind of carried. So even at the, the highest point of my dad's career, when I don't even know how much money he was making. We were living a comfortable life, but still it was, well, it was kind of still always back to the basics. You know, why are we buying anything that's full price? Shop the sales. Everything was always like that. And that's yeah. how I am. That's how my brother is. That's how my sister is. That's how we all live. And it's ingrained. I think it's great. It's fantastic. Now, does it cause some issues here and there with my wife? Sure. Because, you know, it's like, well, why are we penny pitching so much? But yeah, that's yeah. just how I was raised. And that's the testament to being able to retire comfortably. My parents now, my dad actually has pretty much gotten rid of the construction business to a degree. He'll still build a couple houses, but he's pretty much a full time uh, landlord. So he's got maybe 10 properties that he does the rental business with. And he enjoys that. It keeps him sharp. He's got good tenants. So he's got money coming in, a lot of passive income, and it works for him. But it teaches you a lot being a first generation or just coming from bottom of the barrel, for lack yeah. of a better word, uh, and seeing what it took to get to where we got, you know, you don't want to throw that away. Right. Very good. I saw your webpage. It looks really good. Do you all do that yourself or how, you know, who does that? that it, it's a really nice looking webpage. Thank you. Yeah. We spent a lot of time, money and effort on it last year. So pandemic hit in February, March of last year. Our business is primarily where we, we work really well being able to work face to face. You know, in the mm-hmm. financial world, trust comes with a lot of face to face. Thanks to Zoom, we've alleviated some of that. But we, we took it as an opportunity to kind of revamp how we do a lot of things. So we took some time to redo our website. We don't do it ourselves. There, there are pieces that we do to make updates, but we actually... Yeah, like a blog or something. Yeah, yeah. So we can do some of that. But none of us in the office are that technologically advanced to where we can handle it. So yeah, we had to, we hired a company. Before we did the website, we hired a branding company. And the branding company took us through everything. They took us through how we think about our avatar. If you ask me what an avatar was before 
last year, I couldn't have told you. But now I know exactly what our avatar is, which is our our target client. And so we we have a, a whole book that's probably about, I don't know, 120 pages that we came up with that talks about our avatar, talks about all the different marketing funnels that we may have, all the all the different copy that we put onto the website and everything like that. And then we after we got that done, that was the hardest part. Then it was more of, well, let's find someone who can actually build this for us. Yeah, once you have the, the blueprint. Because you got – I don't know how um, how much active it is, but the guy, the other guy has a couple books. Y'all do a, a podcast together since about September. I'm noticing you got you, – I was looking through it real quick. I didn't get to hear it, but I saw lots of episodes. So I was yeah. like, how long have they been this steady? I was like, ah, okay, they're still fresh. All right, yeah. they still got a passion for it for now. But y'all have done it all. You, you're on the Apple. You're on all the places that you need to be. Uh, you got a dedicated part of the site, so it looks like – and you got on uh, the places you've been on, like ABC, NBC, all these types of places, which is pretty sweet. So, yeah, it, I'm taking a course personally on mm-hmm. branding and all of that, and so it's been fun to – what you just told me, I'm like, yeah, that's a whole – it's a whole process on their end. That's why they charge so much typically because there's so much involved when you go from a mom-and-pop website to what you are presenting now online. It looks like you're very – anyway, it looks good. It's 2021. Yeah, and our and our goal with all of that was to not be your typical like um, wire wirehouse. So like your Morgan Stanleys, your Wells Fargo's, they all have a certain image to them, uh, and we wanted to be a little bit different. And so the first step is kind of defining who you want to be, who you want to attract, and what you want to look like to the out people, the world outside. We decided we want to be a little bit more modern and we want to be approachable. And you know that's that's kind of what our website hopefully shows. <laughs> So to, to start wrapping this thing up, first, before if people are like, all right, I want to know where, where to find more information, what is your site? So the website is pomwealth.net. P-O-M stands for peace of mind. So our company name is Peace of Mind Wealth Management. So pomwealth.net. Mm, so not pomegranate. Okay. Not, not pomegranate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Equally good, though. <laughs> Equally yeah. good. Um One of the things we always talk about is what's the point of doing all of this to end up divorced and not seeing your kids? So any hints or tricks to keep the love alive in your relationships and potentially to take time off? Because when you have your business, people call you. It's like you almost are always on having to put stock sales in and it's life or death for these other people. So what do you do? How do you make this work? Yeah, I think there's a few things to it Uh, for, for my wife and I. We're just trying to get back to figuring out how to live with a baby, right? So he's <laughs> he's almost one, and so for us, I mean, I get I get to the office say around nine. I leave. I tr- the market closes at four o'clock, which is nice for financial people because you can't make any trades anymore. So yeah, you can take a few phone calls, you can talk to people, you can record people. a podcast. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, your day is kind of done from a from a requirement perspective. Your mind is always still going, but that kind of leaves an opening for um, my partner and I to kind of either take care of things that we didn't take care of or get home a little bit early. For me, I get to leave the office at r- around 4.30 so I can go pick up my little guy from daycare and get him home. Mm-hmm. Once I get home, then it's just, well, all right, let's spend a couple hours with the baby. He goes to bed and then... After that, there's a small window of time left, right, before bed. And so it's more just uh, for what we have seen, what we have found is just being present in those couple hours because the day is exhausting. Yeah, I'm podcasting with my kids in bed. This is when this is the only time I give you uh, you guys options to to talk to me because I'm trying to spend time with my kid while I'm available. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So being present when you can be present, that I think is the most 
uh, important thing that I have found, you know, in the world of technology that we live in, all mm-hmm. the memes, all of the commercials of people just sitting around the table on their phone. It's very easy to fall into that trap. Very easy. Super. Um, but yeah, I think just being present when you can, it show it's a world of a difference. I've heard of this thing where people like stick their phones in a lockbox or something like that. I don't think we're there yet, but as kids grow up and they've got phones too, who knows? But yeah, being present. I've heard guys go out, you know, to a bar or whatever, Chili's or something, and they all put their phone or the first person that pulls their phone out or touches their phone has to like pay for the meals or a round of drinks or something like that. Yeah. That doesn't really work well with a wife. <laughs> right. Yeah. You owe me yeah. 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've done that before. Uh, any books or podcasts or anything like that that you think we should, whether it's personal development, learning more about investing, anything like that? On the on the podcast side, there, I, this is probably it's probably the most listened to podcast in the world. It's called The Daily by the the Wall Street Journal. I listen to that every now and then just to get an idea as far as what's going on, especially if you hit a big news item like the inauguration yesterday. I'm sure The Daily did something on it today. I think that's a great one just to stay current. And then there's a couple guys. His name is Rory Vaden, and he's actually all about marketing and networking, making connections. Hmm. And the, the the name of it is uh, an influential personal brand podcast. That's actually the company that we eventually worked with to fix our, to help us with our personal brand. It was actually my partner who listened to his podcast, saw him speak a couple of times, and then we all kind of got on board and we decided to hire them. So the guy, his concept is really strong about building your personal brand, you know, or building your company brand. And so he interviews quite a few different people that are just phenomenal. Perfect. Perfect. I think I learned some things. I think anybody who listens to it will at least be able to take away and at least have some questions, whether it's for you or for somebody else uh, that they already are involved with. But uh, I really appreciate your time and just bringing the hard facts. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do. Justin, thanks a lot, man. Another great interview has ended. While you're on your phone, click that review button. Write up a nice review for me. Five stars if you could. As everyone says in the industry, it'll help other people to find us when we have enough rankings. Not to mention, I'll mention you and your review on an upcoming episode. If you follow me at all on Instagram, you know you only get one link. So I use a link tree. And so it's a doctorsperspective.net slash links with an S. And that's going to give you everything you need to know. The top episodes of 2017 and 2018, the podiatry series, dentist, acupuncture series, holiday 2017, financial series, how to write a review, how to support the show, like buying a cup of coffee, getting swag, like t-shirts, the Today's Choices Tomorrow's Health book, that's the blueprints for better health, exercise, picking food correctly, and financial. And then, of course, bundle packs, which can get you the no-needle acupuncture book, 40 common conditions, including the electric acupuncture pin, at a great deal. The resources page has some of the products that I like. It's a affiliate style, so if you buy something from them, I get a piece of that. Just like on the show notes pages, if you buy a book from clicking that link, I get a small piece of that as well. So I really appreciate that. Things like Screencast-O-Matic, Pure VPN, Missing Letter, JLab Speakers, ProLone Edge or Hawk Grips. Uh, once again, if you do need any coaching on how to improve some of your blood work, drop weight, and the ProLone Diet, Fast Mimicking Diet, 5-Day Plan, let me know as well as if you just need some coaching, whether it's health, whether it's marketing, 
whether you need some practice growth, etc., reach out. Facebook, Justin Trosclair, MCC. Of course, at a doctorsperspective.net on the top right, you got all the social media icons that you can imagine. Click your favorite and reach out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please tell a friend, pass it along. You can go to .net slash listen. It's just that easy. It'll open up right in your app. And don't forget, I appreciate you. Listen, critically think, and integrate. See you on the mini-sodes on Thursdays and Saturdays. Hope you're enjoying those. I'm definitely having fun summarizing these podcasts in less than 10 minutes for you. You get the nuggets without having to waste your time. Have a great week. A doctor's perspective. Learn stories of success. Avoid struggles they've met. Doctors of all kinds come together to help you shine. So sit back.